I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And we're here with Terry Lifton, Democrat for Comptroller. Welcome to Max and Murphy. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm honored to be here. <laughs> so am I. Uh, so introduce yourself. You are a candidate for Comptroller. Uh, uh, what's a nice person like you doing in a race like this? Well, uh, that's a good question. So I believe that the next Comptroller needs to be detached from the political establishment and have the experience necessary to be the chief financial officer on day one. There's no time for on-the-job training. And so let me tell you why I will hit the ground running. So first, I'm a mom of two boys, and I've been married for 22 years, 22 years in March. And I've lived in New York City since 1986. I grew up on Long Island. Both my parents are teachers. They're retired now, um, and they're living off their pensions. They were the first generation in their families to go to college. I attended public school, and then I came to the city in 1986 to attend a women's college, Barnard uh, College. And I have a master's degree uh, from NYU and a law degree uh, from Brooklyn Law School. And you know, I think the one thing all the candidates can agree on is that the last seven years have been an exercise in fiscal mismanagement. And I've certainly lost faith in those leaders, in those politicians. And I say that as someone who's lived in the city for 34 years. And when I graduated from Barnard, I got a job while the city was feeling the effects of the national recession. That was the early 90s. Uh, after I got, I received a master's in economics from NYU, I worked for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, and I was in the Twin Towers the first time the terrorists tried to take them down. Um, and Hurricane Sandy, not, not 9-11, Hurricane Sandy, and then the global financial crisis. And each time, the city came back stronger and more diverse, both in its population and in its businesses. But now we're facing a fiscal crisis, as you know. And while COVID has certainly exacerbated it, uh, this crisis was not caused by COVID. It was caused by and continues to get worse by the actions of our current leaders. So I believe once the vaccination comes through, our health and our spirit will be restored and our city will, will still be facing a deficit of epic proportions in the coming years. So what's the answer is not to let politicians to pursue more of, more of the same. So one example is if you look over the last seven to eight years, the budget increased by 30%. That's over $25 billion. We don't really know where the money went and who got paid or for what. You know, I want to find the waste and, if necessary, hold people accountable. And I want to start with the over $850 million, I mean, it may be close to a billion at this point, that was spent on the homeless and the mentally ill. You know, we all know that that population and that money was not well served and that money was not well spent. Um, and now we know something about those who received some of that money. It was powerful people who preyed on the vulnerable. And when my husband put that Times article in front of me last Sunday that talked about the Bronx homeless shelter, we both said at the same time, this is why I'm running. The problems that you see now and tracing back to before the COVID crisis struck us, including the ones you just alluded to, how do you see the tools of the comptroller's office being used to 
address them. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very important role. It's misunderstood by a lot of people. There are a lot of interesting authorities to it, but no direct oversight of the budget, no vote on particular programs. How do you think the, the powers of that office will equip you to, to make the kind of changes you think the city needs? Well, let me first say that we have to commit to protect our pensions because these funds are, are used by our seniors to live and they have put their life's work into the city and their pensions must sustain them as they age. And while I believe in climate change and I believe it's real and the need to transition to our economy, uh, to clean energy, you know, and I applaud the efforts of those who are fighting every day to make that happen. My parents taught science, and this is what they're focused on. But my view is that at the same time, the next chief investment officer has to wear a fiduciary hat when making those investments so that they generate the best performance for the pension funds and our seniors. And when I look at the current investments, which are on the website, it's clear that certain asset classes, so for example, hedge funds, have not served the retirees well. We need to rethink those investments. Uh, most economists believe that the market is not going to perform well over the next coming years, not at least not 18% like it did for the last eight years. Therefore, and yields on fixed income are very low. So every investment counts. So we need to make good investments, and we need to use the full power of the $240 billion from the pension system to reduce costs. That means negotiate fees with managers and outside consultants. So, you know, first and foremost, protecting the pensions. Talk about the climate issue more, because it sounds like what you're saying is that the move to divest from fossil fuel holding companies, fossil fuel reserve companies, I guess is the technical term, that that is out of step with the fiduciary responsibility the comptroller and the pensions boards have for those funds. The interesting thing about that is that they make the opposite argument that in fact, um, in addition to having uh, some moral rectitude to it, that divesting from those firms is protecting the pension funds from what they see as inevitable losses associated with having holdings in those companies. Do you think that argument is, is flawed in some way? Well, I think as long as the divestment process is undertaken without any adverse effect on performance, I think each fund can make that decision. You know, you can look at the energy sector right now, and I think it's being pummeled. So I would say now is not a good time to sell off um, energy stocks. You know, a different way to answer that question, and maybe this is what you were getting at, is do I think staying invested and putting pressure on fossil fuel companies you know, would accelerate the move to clean energy. And I'm not an expert in this field, but just based on what I see happening in Europe, you know, I think the answer is yes. I think better change can come if you're invested in these companies because they have the scale and, and the ability, and they've started to make the move from fossil fuel to natural gas to clean energy uh, you know, w including wind farms. Um, so that would be my preference. And um... the financial state of the city pre COVID again, because obviously that was a, a unique challenge. 
there are many folks who, over the course of the de Blasio administration, raised concerns about the growth in the city budget. Um, and the comeback from the mayor and his allies was always, well, look, the, the city's bond rating is still very, very strong. Um, how do you reconcile that? If, if there has been this kind of reckless approach to budget growth, why has the, the, the fixed income community still smiled upon the city and its debt? Well, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I think because everybody wants to believe in New York City. I certainly believe in New York City over the long term. Um, but it's true that the city has been outspending its revenue sources for years. And the amount of the current debt outstanding grew to $125 billion at the end of 2020. So that's an increase of 84% since 2005. And this growth affects the city budget because we service the debt from our tax revenues. And the more debt we have, the higher our debt service. So right now, city-supported debt takes up roughly 11% of our tax revenue. And, and I think that's, that's about right. And it looks to me we should do everything to avoid increasing that debt load. And you know, I would come back to the way of doing that is to stop wasting money so we can preserve our credit rating. When people think about the budget, sometimes the discussion is about waste, and sometimes it's a question, not so much that the money is wasted in the sense that um, it goes somewhere it's not supposed to, but that maybe government is is doing too much, um, that you know we can't have uh, 3K as well as pre-K, that we can't do some of the things that the government has taken on in recent years. When you talk about waste, are you talking purely about money being misspent in terms of misappropriations and, and you know, um, light bulbs and, and um, uh, people getting uh, you know, too much money for particular products the city is getting? Or are you talking about that the city is sort of devoting resources to things that, that are outside the realm of municipal government? Well, I, I would take the position uh, on the former. I mean, I think universal pre-K is a brilliant idea, and I support it wholeheartedly. Um, you know, my focus would really be on contracts with third parties and the integrity in those contracts. I mean, some of those contracts should never have been entered into, um, and others should be canceled because the terms haven't been fulfilled. I have a lot of sympathy for folks, for, for people in city government a year ago who went out and did their best to secure services and PPE when COVID hit because nobody really knew what was going on. But I think in, a year later, when we look back, and there have been a few stories uh, about this, you have to look to see were those contracts fulfilled? Did we get what we, what we contracted for? Did we pay up front? Do we owe money? Can we get out of those contracts? Um, and also, I think some of the things that we, we outsource can be performed, some of the responsibilities can be performed in-house by our city employees. And I think that's an important factor to think about going forward because the last thing we want to do in the coming years is to lay off employees, particularly employees who were just hired. Um, so Jared, I don't know if you know this, but I, as part of my responsibilities as a chief legal officer, over the last 14 years, I reviewed every single third-party contract that my firms entered into. And so that's an upfront review to make sure that the services are needed, the price is right. Uh, and then on an annual basis, 
I would make sure that the business leader responsible for that contract would review it again and say, yes, we receive those services. Yes, they still make sense. Yes, the price is still right. And let's continue with it. I think that's the type of responsibility, accountability, and follow-through we need on contracts. The last few comptrollers have devoted, I think, probably an increasing attention to beyond the fiduciary duties and oversight duties, proposing policy solutions for the city, some of which have had some impact on the policy conversation, whether it's affordable housing or wages or school nutrition. Um, do you see that as being part of your portfolio? And if so, beyond the budget items we've just talked about, what are some policy areas you'd be interested in exploring new solutions for? Well, I wanna make sure I get this point across because it really made me mad. Uh, I saw a story on New York One about a month ago about DoorDash and you know, I appreciate the benefits of a gig uh, of a of a gig service economy, but in this case, DoorDash has delivery men, men who are putting their lives at risk given COVID to deliver food, and they're earning you know, minimum wage. They don't have benefits, uh, and the founders made billions of dollars on an IPO. You know, so this is the type of corporate greed that fuels the anger in our society and rightfully so. So it's controller, I would call those Silicon Valley guys every day to make sure they did the right thing. So you are in a race where there are eight or nine other names, including some people who have held uh, elected office for a number of years, have raised a lot of money, have institutional connections. What do you see as your path to victory and or what constitutes a successful race for Terry Lifton if it's not winning the most votes? Is there something else you think you can accomplish by running or is it just about uh, prevailing come June 22nd? Well, I think my voice, one, I'm in it to win it. And, yeah. I, and I believe that I certainly can and will win. And I think ranked choice voting um, serves to help those candidates who are not part of the political establishment. Uh, I think I bring a voice of experience, someone who can actually do the job on day one. I hope to educate those about the importance of the controller's role and you know what's important. I don't believe legislative experience is necessary. Um, it's not a good background for this role. Someone has to step in on day one, someone who has worked in the industry, knows what it means to be a fiduciary, um, understands how to put in risk management programs to audit waste, knows how to settle lawsuits, knows how to review contracts. So I hope I speak as, as the candidate of experience and we can stop talking about you know, great policies um, and start talking about you know, reality, you know, what the controller is meant to do and should do on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, Terry Lifton, Democrat for Comptroller, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Enjoy your day.